Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. What a time of worship to just hopefully center our lives uh, for another week ahead and for life as it continues. And life is always throwing curveballs at us, right? I mean, we're always stuck with questions. Where do you go with your hard questions? Where do you, who do you turn to? Google? I turn to Google a lot. Okay. Self-admission. Maybe that's sometimes the first place I turn is Google and asking the Google, uh, versus sometimes I should be asking the God. And sometimes I turn to Google before I turn to God. But who, who did we go to before Google? We went to, believe it or not, librarians. Uh, but librarians have this treasure trove of knowledge, this treasure trove of resources that we would tap into. But literally, that's the number one place that people would turn to in times of questioning uh, and in times of doubt, in times of wondering, and they would ask the questions to the librarian. New York City Public Library set up a hotline in 1967 that was a line that you could call in and ask the librarian, and they would always have people on call, ask the librarian questions about life, about anything that you wanted to research. They would help you. That's what the librarian was there for. In fact, to this very day, that hotline is still active. How do I know that? Because I prank called it yesterday just to make sure it was still good. I was reading this article and I thought, there's no way that people still call the librarian. But come to find out, about 30,000 people a year still call the New York Public Library to ask them questions. We have lots of questions in life. Maybe we ask them, maybe we don't. Maybe we grow out of asking questions. Ralph Smith wrote a book a number of years ago. It's out of print today. I wish I could get my hands on a copy of it. But he said that in that book, he said that children will ask on average your kids may be more inquisitive than these these average kids, but 125 questions a day. And when you get into that twos and threes and four years old, you know what I'm talking about. Everything comes with a question. Uh, but somehow we grow out of that. And when we become adults, adults on average will ask only about six questions a day. So does that mean we become all-knowing? Does it mean we have all the answers? Do we lose our inquisitive minds about us that we lose 119 questions in the course of a day? Well, wherever you go for your questions, wherever you go for your answers and questions on life, here's one for you parents. Dads, let me ask you this. What are you going to say when your four or five-year-old comes to you and says this, ask you this, who is God? You're probably going to go say, go ask your mother. If you're any wise father, you're going to go send him to ask the mother, but what, who is God? Can you answer that in your mind, in your heart right now? Who is God. Not an easy answer. I promise you, whether you are a mother or a father, whether you're theologically trained or you're not, because the finite minds that we have can no way comprehend the infinite God that we know. The finite cannot comprehend the infinite. It will take us all eternity to study and know the infinite character of God. Who he is. If your child comes to you, you'll probably do like we probably did when our kids came to us and asked that same question, is we typically try to answer who God is by what God does. 
God made the heavens and the earth. God made you in mama's belly. We typically talk about who God is by talking about what God did because we really have a hard time putting our hands around, putting vocabulary around who God is. I know it. I have a hard time even preparing this message to talk about who God is because I want to go to what God did, but there is a difference. Now, certainly what God does flows out of who God is. They do go in synchronized, in a very synchronized way, in a complementary kind of way. But answering what God did and who God is, is not a complete question. It's not, it's not the same. So here's my, my way of trying to simplify, simplify, simplify the infinite into the finite. All right, you can take notes, you can just remember this. It's one sentence, and this is an inadequate sentence of itself. God is triune. He is three parts. He is He is not just one part, but yet he is one. He is a monotheistic God. He is one God, but yet if you think about God, he expresses himself in three persons, distinct, unique. It's not three different modes. That's modalism. He actually is one God with three expressions. And I've thought of lots of illustrations of this and I, and every one of the illustrations falls apart miserably. But when you think about it, I'm going to use my hand just for ease today. This is my hand. My hand is my hand. There's only one hand there. But if I take three fingers and I stick them up in the air, you can say, well, I have three fingers, a part of that one hand. And I can, I can say that this finger has a function and this finger has a function and this finger has a function, but yet they're all a part of that one hand. So I can separate out my hand, but at the same time, I cannot separate my, out my hand because I can't have these fingers without the hand. I know it's so mind-blowing to try to, to put your arms around it, to put your mind around it, but God is three parts. He is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And don't miss that because every part of who God is matters and they all come together in a synchronized unity. That's the unity, the tri- trinity or the triune God. They're unified as they come together. The Nicene Creed says it like this about defining who God is. God is the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, things that we have not even seen or discovered God is the father, the creator of even the invisible. Some people will call him an intelligent designer because they don't want to call him God. Well, I want to say that God has a name. His name is Elohim in Hebrew. And even in the Elohim name of God is a plural form of God. I think referring to myself, I think it's referring to the triune nature of God. God, the father, his overarching statement of God the Father is this, that God is for us. He created us. He made us. He breathed life into us. He sustains us with the same breath that he created us with. And the the scriptures call us to talk to him as if he is our father. Our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when you talk to God the father, you are talking to God as if he is your father and you're praying to him. But the second person of the Trinity, 
We just celebrated his birth. And as hard as it is to understand the Trinity, I find it equally as hard and mind-boggling and mind-blowing to understand the Incarnation. That God is both fully man and fully God at the same time. That when Jesus Christ came into time and space, he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. Yet he's always been and he always will be. Yet he entered into space and time. Again, mind-blowing when you think about Jesus as God. God's son, Jesus speaks of God with us. We just celebrated again Christmas. One of the names given to him at Christmas was Emmanuel, God with us. When you think of God the Father, he's God for us. When you think of Jesus, he is God with us. Him coming to earth and living among us. But then there is the Holy Spirit of God. That Holy Spirit, and you might be asking, holy who? Because there's a lot of people who don't know who the Holy Spirit is. I will say this about the Holy Spirit. Of all the Godhead, he is the most misunderstood, misrepresented, neglected, abused, and forgotten person in the Godhead. We don't know what to do with the Holy Spirit. Okay? We can look at earth and stars and outer space and say God made those and almost reach out and touch them. We can say that Jesus walked this earth, he had put on flesh and blood, and he and there were people at times that he touched and that touched him. But it's the Holy Spirit? That's a little it's a little weird. In fact, in old English they would call it the Holy Ghost. They would call him, not it, the Holy Ghost. So throw that into the mix and you start talking about ghosts in your family. J.D. Greer put it like this in his book, Jesus Continued, which is a great book on the work of the Holy Spirit. His subtitle of the book, I love it. It's the best part of the book and it's right, the reason I got the book. Why the Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. When you think about Would you rather have Jesus walking beside you or would you rather have the Holy Spirit inside of you? And what Greer points out and emphasizes throughout the book that the, 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 that God inside of you, always with you, never leaving you, with you 24 7, 365 is better than Jesus with you. The Holy Spirit of God. And I believe he has scriptural significant uh, proof to that. In John chapter 16, verse 7, it says, It is to your advantage, Jesus said, that I go away. Just hang on to that phrase. Jesus said to his disciples that he had walked with, talked with, healed people with, walked on water with, seen miracles, had performed, and had done so many incredible things, had seen thousands of people become uh, flocking to him. And yet Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Or if I don't, do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Father sent the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. When you think about this and who is the Holy Spirit, since 325 A.D., I re- quoted from the Nicene Creed earlier, which most people don't know what that is. But in 325 AD, a council of churches came together, a council of believers came together because the church had expanded all the way as far northwest as Germany, modern-day Germany, modern-day England, Great Britain, all as far east as India. The church was spread across the world already by that time. 
And at that time, they needed to have a clear understanding of who the Father was, who the Son was, and who this Holy Spirit was. And so the Nicene Creed says this about who the Holy Spirit is. So the church has been believing this for years. It's the foundation on which to this day our doctrinal statement is on who the Holy Spirit is. I believe in the Holy Ghost. Again, I said that's old English. The Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who is with the Father, the Son, together is worshipped and glorified. They are together. The Holy Spirit, God's Holy Spirit, is God in us. God is for us. God is with us. God is in us. This trinity of God, this, this, this one God in three different expressions of who God is, this, you'll never find the word, by the way, trinity in the New Testament. You don't find it anywhere in the Bible, so don't even look for it. But you'll find the theological truth that is there very evident. Be finding in your Bibles, the book of Galatians. The best way to find it, because Galatians is not easy to find, go to the front cover. Open it up, find the book of Galatians in the table of contents, turn to Galatians. We're going to be there for the next few weeks. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and following. By the way, this is what I shared on Christmas Eve night when we're talking about the incarnation of Jesus. And when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. If you were here, how many of y'all were with us on Christmas Eve night? Raise your hand. All right. This is what we share. The fullness of time God had come. God sent forth his son. Why did he send him? To redeem. And so that we might receive adoption. We talked about that. But the very next verse, we see the Trinity working in this beautiful unity. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son Where did he send his spirit? Say it with me. Into our hearts. The God that is in us is better than the God that is with us. Do we understand the power and the presence, the provision? The, are we fully aware that God can be a part of our life in an incredible life changing fashion? That's why we come to this series called Unleash. Is because I'm afraid some of us are so unaware of the Spirit of God that we might even be confused by, by, by the voice of the Spirit mixed in with all the other voices of this world. That we might tune out what God is trying to tune in, tune us into. And it is my desire that we understand the working of the Spirit of God in us and how He wants to manifest Himself. Because as A.W. Tozer said, He said, though every believer has the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit does not have every believer, which is a great tragedy to think that I can possess the Holy Spirit, but I've not yielded my life to his working in me. That would be a great tragedy. Of the 13 books that, that, that Paul wrote, many believe that Galatians was the first of the writings. It was coming off of his first missionary journey. He comes to, 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 to Galatia first and it's a region of the world and he shares the gospel there and the churches are planted there in different areas and different communities. Then Galatia is this, this region. And again, just like the Nicene Creed was a foundational doctrinal statement, so is Galatians a foundational doctrinal statement. It's one of the first doctrinal statements that is written. And why is this important for us? 
Because if we want to tap into who God is, we need to understand for him from a basis of truth, not a basis of feeling, not a basis of pop culture. We need to understand him based on truth. This is going to be a topical study through in and through the book of Galatians. And from chapter 3, we find the very first time that the word spirit, pneuma, is used in the book of Galatians. There's six, only six chapters. The first time Galatians uses the spirit is in chapter 3. And for 17 more times over the course of three chapters, that Greek word pneuma will be used. It will become a major theme of what it means to walk in the awareness of God and in seeing and experiencing the redemption of God. And I want us to look at Galatians chapter 3. Um, and I want us to see two verses. If you want to summarize the entire Bible in two verses, here you go. Follow along real quickly as we read. Christ redeemed us from the curse. Chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse. What's the curse? The curse is what happens back in Genesis chapter 3. So you can take Genesis chapter 3 and line it up and see what happens that caused this curse by becoming a curse for us. So what does God do? He's going to redeem us. Christ is going to redeem us. He's going to buy us back from the brokenness of our world. How's he going to do that? He's going to take on our curse for us. That's why he goes to the cross. Cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. He literally brings in the Old Testament covenant of Moses. We just talked about the Old Testament covenant of Moses. Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. And then he goes on, so that in Christ Jesus... The blessing of Abraham. Now, hopefully, if you've been with us since March of 2021, you've heard us talk about Abraham and the significance of Abraham, the father of all nations, the father of all three monotheistic faiths, the, the, the founder of, uh, of Hebrew faith that would end up giving, uh, pro, that would end up produce the, the son of God. The significance of that, that, that unilateral covenant that he made with him so that Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, might come to the Gentiles. Remember that Abraham's blessing was not just for Abraham. It's not just for the Hebrews. It was for all the nations of the world. I'm, I'm, I'm relying on you having paid attention for the past year of messages. But that's what I'm saying. These two verses is, are the entire Bible. These two verses. Verse 14. So that Christ... So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. So that. So that what? This is in the Greek language, a henna clause, which means it's the purpose clause. It means everything that was said before is leading up to this singular purpose right here. Here is the purpose that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is why I say this is so important to the whole understanding of everything about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is that the reason that Jesus came and suffered and died and took our place on the cross is so that, Hinnacloth, so that we might receive that promised spirit through faith. Before we can unleash the work of God through us, 
we need to embrace the work of God within us. God is wanting to work in us. Are you ready to embrace it? This is kind of the foundation of all the series of messages that we're going to look at in the book of Galatians, in the book of dealing with the, the spirit of God being unleashed in us. As we, as, we, as we unpack this, just realize we're going to be here for the next few weeks, the next two months to be exact. But I want us to understand two overarching works that God's Spirit does. God's Holy Spirit does two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit is our catalyst to God. He is our catalyst. He's the initiator. He's the, uh, he's the prompter. He's the invitation. He's the inviter to God. The Bible says, and Jesus said this in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Hang on to that phrase because we're going to spend the lion's share of our, of our series on the unleashed dealing with the fruit of the spirit and the fact that God from his very beginning of giving us his spirit, he had a purpose and intent behind it. And it was that we would bear fruit. And we'll talk about that fruit in the weeks ahead. But I want you to see, first of all, that this whole relationship with God thing isn't my, isn't me conjuring it up. It is God touching me and inviting me to become one of his followers. Back in Galatians now. Galatians chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. It says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit, did you receive, did you, did you grasp, did you hold, did you take hold of the spirit by the works of the law, by hearing or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Now, let me just tell you this. The tone of Galatians, if you haven't read it, you need to read it over the course of the next few weeks. It's, it's pretty harsh. He gets in their face. He gets in their faith. And he really kind of gets in their business because they kind of veered off course. He's trying to bring them back. And so you can hear the tone in there because he tells them, where did all this begin? Having begun by the spirit, are you being perfected by the flesh? Your relationship, your whole God encounter, it all happens because the spirit of God initiates. He begins it. He, he prompts you in your heart. Whenever Nicodemus goes to Jesus at night, what does he do? He says, the spirit, you must be born of the spirit, but you also must be born of water. You must be born of water and you must be born of the spirit. In John chapter three, verse five and six, truly, truly, I say to you that unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So here, here what I'm about to say. This world, <laughs> And everyone in it, and you, maybe some in this room, are once born people. But you need to be twice born. We're once born people in it. We need to be twice born people. Born of water, born of spirit. That which is born of the flesh is the flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Now, Nicodemus has a hard time with this. If you've read that story, Nicodemus chapter 3 of... He really has a hard time because he didn't understand how he's going to go back into his mother's womb. And that's when he says, no, 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 you don't go back into your mother's womb. You're born of water. That's that natural birth. But you're also born of the spirit. There's a spiritual birth. When his spirit lives inside of your spirit. When I was eight years old, I was sitting in church. We, we went to a small church on the east side of Rogers. 
growing up. And I hated going to church. We didn't have children's church. We didn't have anything. And so I would sit there and I would squirm around. And my question to my mother sitting next to me was, how much longer? How much longer? Three minutes later. Have any parents can identify with that question? How much longer? Yes. It's like you just, you endure. My mother had this brilliant statement. So you try it on your kids. If you listen, it will go by faster. I'm all about going by faster. And so I started listening. And little Pastor Johnny, probably that big, but that wide, kept talking, but I started paying attention. And in that late February Sunday, I don't know what he said. I don't know the passage he read. I don't know anything. But there was something that happened in that service that day that happened inside of my spirit that I can't explain it. I can't touch it. I can't feel it. I can't scientifically explain it in any other kind of way other than It was the spirit of God that spoke to my spirit that said my spirit needed to be born again. And on that day, I ran to the back of the church and I took the pastor by the hand, Pastor Johnny, and I said, please tell me how to become a follower of Jesus. Because on that day, I knew that there's something that needed to happen inside of me. And so let me just say this to to, to you just to help bring some clarity and interpretation to something that maybe some of you are feeling from time to time is that God's spirit will speak to you in places like this, in times like this, when you're reading the word of God like this, and that spirit calling, yearning, pulling at your heart, don't run from it. You don't choose God, God chooses you, and that is the moment in time that God is tapping your heart, and he's saying, I want you to be my child. I'm wanting you to be born again. Some of you right this very moment watching, maybe at home, maybe listening on a podcast, maybe in this room right now, or I'm just going to believe it, that I'm believing that the Spirit of God is drawing some to you. Listen, do not press against that. Lean into it and say yes. How do you say yes? You just say yes. You say, Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I give my life to you. Jesus, I don't even know what it means, but I want you and I want your spirit inside of me. Begin the work inside of me, God. Free me from my brokenness. Put your own words in there. I want to challenge you in this so that God would do his work in you and change you and don't miss the catalytic moment that God is calling you to. That life-changing, being born again. What do you do with that? I want to give you three things. This is not a sales pitch. Three things to just just do this. Tell someone, okay? Don't keep this to yourself. Tell someone, tell me. You don't know who to tell? Come to the guest central after this day. Mike, I don't know what just happened, but I in myself, in my being, in my heart, in my mind, I don't know where it was. I can't even put my finger on where it was, but I just know that I need to follow Jesus And I'm not going to play games any longer. I'm not going to push back from that calling any longer. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to say yes. Tell someone, if you're watching, if you're in this room, you can take out one of those cards in front of you and fill it out. And literally, as you text in GPC Connect to 9700, you take the card out in front of you, just tell us, I'm beginning my relationship with God. And one of our pastors will reach out to you. The second thing, don't go it alone. Don't go it alone. Just like you're born into this world, be born into this family, into this, into this body of believers. We're a church for those who've given up on the church and haven't given up on God. 
We want to invite you to be a part of our family. We have a first steps experience. And you heard Nathan talk about it earlier. I invite you to be a part of it so you don't go it alone. It's lonely out there and Satan will want to devour you. He's prowling around like a roaring lion just to do that. Now, number three, celebrate it. This is put a stake in the ground and celebrate your new life in Christ. We do this through baptism. Our next baptism is March 3rd. You think, Mike, Mike, you're selling something here. I'm not selling a thing. I'm just trying to bring the cookies to the bottom shelf. And I'm just trying to say, we all need God. And if God is prompting your heart right now, don't miss it. Lean into it. Follow it. Let God work in your life. Number two, the Holy Spirit is our continuation with God. The word that Jesus will use throughout the book of John, chapter 15, is the word abide. Abide in me and I in you. God is wanting a relationship with us. He's not going to abandon us. So Jesus, even though he's going to go away and prepare a place for us, as he ascends into heaven, what does he say in John chapter 14? He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. When he's saying, I will come to you, I'm going to send my spirit to you. And I'm going to come again for you. In John 14, verse 16, he says this, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper. That's the Holy Spirit. To be with you forever. This is why the, the continuation of God in us is that spirit of God. Even the spirit of truth who is in the world cannot receive because they, uh, because they neither see him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. <laughs> Disclaimer. I'm not going to cover everything about the Holy Spirit. Every little question you have about the Holy Spirit. But if I, if we're going to talk about unleashing the Spirit of God out of our life, one, it starts with a relationship with Him. That's where it starts. Listening to that catalytic calling of God when He chooses you and you say yes to Him. But then two is letting that spirit who's abiding and living and dwelling and a part of you, letting him come out of you, letting him change your character, letting him change your conduct, letting him change your life and your perspective, letting him do what the spirit of God wants to do. That is a part of the unleashing. If you really want to dive into this, and I invite you to dive into it with us, I'm doing a study. I started it this morning, already did the first one. I invite you to join us into a 30-day a, a study on the ministry of the Holy Spirit on the Version app. If you want to text into that, it's really easy. You sign up for it. It's free. It's 30 days, simple, a couple of verses. You have a devotional thought. You can interact. I love it when people interact, when they write out what God is teaching them that day, because what they're doing is they're writing out what the Spirit of God told them that day. And I'm going to try to do the same thing. And you can see what I say and what God teaches me. I can see what you say and what God teaches you. This is where we dive in to what is this Who is this Holy Spirit and what's he about? But I want to go back to what I shared again Christmas Eve. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And he does four things when he's a part of our life. We cry, Abba, Father, so that you no longer are a slave but a son. 
And if a son, then you're made an heir. What does this mean? I want us to see when the Spirit of God is a part of our life, one, it creates intimacy with God. Notice that he called him Abba, Father. That's like saying Daddy, Daddy. Intimate relationship, not a distant God. Personal Father that wants you to talk with him, that wants to be with you. And if you know anything about a relationship, and I know you do, it takes time, attention, time, patience, time, resources, time. It takes a lot of time. But if you really want the Spirit of God to work in you, give him that attention of your life. Because I'm afraid there's a lot of people who gets so caught up in so many other things. You know, there's a deacon in our church. This happened years ago, so it didn't happen last week. Hope it didn't happen any time in the past year. But this is like a couple of years ago. A deacon came to me after one of our services. He said he was setting up in, in, the, in the riser section, and somebody right in front of him had their phone out. And while I was preaching, they were looking up how to mix drinks. That's not the spirit I'm talking about, Okay how to mix drinks. They were learning how to mix drinks while they were in church. Listen, there's a lot of things that can pull you aside right now. Abba Abba Child is a book by Brennan Manning that he quotes Richard Foster and he says, today the heart of God is open. It's an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I want to say God is calling us to an intimate relationship with him. But number two, it's calling us to freedom in God. You are no longer a slave, he said. Now I'm just going to tee that up because next week we're going to talk about what that means to walk and freedom and not be caught into the slavery of that. So I'm just going to leave that there and let you be teased to next week. What does it mean to live free and not caught up in the slavery uh, uh, of the brokenness of our own hearts? Number number uh, three, it's identity from God. See, so much of our time we spend trying to determine who I am, what I am, and why I am. We make up our identity based on those three questions. Who I am, what I am, and why I am. And we never get to a deeper level question, which is whose I am. Because this is a reality. My identity is not in who, what, or why I am, but in whose I am. Jesus calls us his son. And if there's any banner, more than I am a male, more than I am white, more than I am a pastor, more than I am a husband, more than I am a father, all those things make up a part of the identity of who I am. But all of those are secondary to the fact that I'm a child of God. And that gives me my identity, which then leads me to the value through God. Not only that, we're heirs. We are heirs, heirs of what God has, heirs of what God brings. He brings value to who we are. 
We're living in a day where there's so many people struggling with their sense of value. Suicide has become an outlet for so many that it breaks my heart. One in four teenagers since COVID and the isolation and the separation that people have gone through, four in four teenagers struggles with the thought of suicide. We have a family in our church this week who's right now burying a family member who took their life. This Sunday, today, is the 32nd anniversary years of my time in ministry. So today, I took my first church 32 years ago today. I can tell you this, in 32 years, in the past five years, I've done more funerals for suicide than I've done in the previous 27 years, in the past five years. It's very real and it's very dark. And I I, I lean on this, this whole sense of when somebody reaches that dark abyss of why do I even exist? Why should I even exist? I want to say they've lost their sense of value. And I want to say this to them, please lean in to the spirit of God because he calls you child. You can call him father, daddy, daddy. He wants to give you a sense of identity. And I want to take you to the very first verse we read today. It is to your advantage that I go away. Why? Because the Spirit of God will come and He will be your helper. Do you know the Spirit of God today? Are you walking in the awareness of Him today? Are you feeling that sense of value, that sense of belonging, that sense of identity with God today? Because once we have that catalytic moment of receiving that new life, that spiritual birth, then we move in the continuing, ongoing relationship with God through His Spirit. And it is comforting. It is value-adding. It is directional. It is life-changing. Would you bow your heads with me? the stillness of this moment. I'm going to say a few words and I'm going to be quiet and then I'm going to pray. And when I get quiet, I want you to lean in and I want you to listen really closely to what is the Spirit of God saying to you today? Is He saying you need to become a child of God? Is He saying you need to trust me with that big decision that you're facing? Is he he saying this? You need to obey me in what I've already told you you need to do. What's What's your next step of obedience as you listen to the Spirit of God right here, right now? Father, whatever it is that you've told everyone in this room and everyone watching, and everyone listening by podcast, whether they're driving down the road or they're in their living room or they're in this room right now, Lord, 
whatever you've told them, the next thing they're, they're to do, your spirit has spoken to them. I pray they will have the boldness, the courage to say yes and to take that next step of obedience. That, Father, you would be unleashed in them and through them. Father, do your work here and now, in this space, and in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.